welcome to the panel on RNZ National, Ella Henry and Peter Field with me today. Russian President Vladimir Putin has ordered a Russian mobilisation to fight in Ukraine and made a thinly veiled threat to use nuclear weapons in what NATO called a reckless act of desperation in the face of a looming Russian threat. 300,000 people to be pressed into military service. Flights out of Russia quickly sold out following Putin's announcement. Biden accuses Russia of irresponsible nuclear threats violating the UN Charter. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky today urged world leaders to punish Russia for its invasion. Dr. Evgeny Pavlov is Associate Professor of Russian and History at the University of Canterbury and Vice President of the Australia and New Zealand Slavist Association. Dr. Pavlov, welcome to the panel. Great to have you on. Now, you grew up in Kaluga, understand, which is what, southwest of Moscow, 90 k's, on the train line to Kiev. First, how do you think the Russians will be feeling? Uh, at this point, uh, the Russians would be um, very scared, I would say, um, because uh, the mobilization order has changed things uh, dramatically, uh, because up until now, uh, the war has been uh, something that was happening elsewhere, and they had the option of sitting you know, on the sofa in front of the telly and <laughs> watch the news and uh, you know, allow themselves to be uh, showered with propaganda. Um, but uh, now it's actually coming home because uh, 300,000 is a significant number. And, um, well, he's calling it a partial mobilization, but... Uh, everyone's agreeing it's, it's probably anything but, because uh, it's 300,000 today, but who knows how many it's going to be um, tomorrow, by the end of the year, uh, next spring. Um, so uh, I imagine there'll be um, a panic um, among uh, quite a number of people. Uh, and, you know, it's obviously one thing to sit uh, and watch the, the news yeah. so far, and then go about your daily life, which actually um, hasn't changed all that much since the war started, right. uh, particularly in Moscow and in, in, in St. Petersburg and other major cities. And it's another thing to, uh, to be faced with the uh, prospect of being called up and uh, be given an AK-47 and uh, sent into battle uh, under the uh, fire from the um, um, HIMARS uh, systems. So that's, uh, yeah, that's how they'd be feeling. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine, Evgeny. Uh, uh, and uh, what, I, what we do understand is no one knows yet who will be called up. A petition organiser said people are in shock. And I, get, I, mm. I guess this is why you're seeing, I mean, it's high stakes in domestic politics, politics isn't it? So I guess this is why mm. you're seeing quite a bit of pushback by the Russian people in terms of protesting. Uh, yeah, it's it. There has been pushback. Uh, at the moment, it's uh, it's not enormous uh, because, of course, you have to bear in mind that uh, there's an enormous um, mechanism of repression, and uh, all those hundreds of people who uh, went out to protest yesterday uh, were uh, rounded up immediately. I think they arrested more than 1,300 people. Uh, some mm-hmm. people were beaten up by, you know, with, with clubs um, and, and so on. Um, but I think it's it's going to be a, a gradual pushback, um, you know, as as, as these um, 
risk mobilization uh, orders uh, are getting served and as people are getting called up, uh, there's going to be more and more um, um, a resistance to that and resentment to that, uh, of that. And, and, and um, at the end of the day, I think um, something um, more significant is possible. Okay, let's go to our panellists. Ella, we've all been following uh, these events of the last uh, few months or so, and indeed today, your thoughts on this? I'm really concerned. I I, I mean, I I was eight years old during the Bay of Pigs, and I wasn't old enough to know what was going on, but we listened to the radio every day, and, and everybody believed the world was going to come to an end. And I had this horrible sense of deja vu that here we are, 60 years later and we still haven't solved the kind of social problems that makes nuclear weapons the answer to threats uh, it's i'm i'm disturbed i'm i'm very concerned about it dr pavlov mm. yeah uh, well i think the nuclear weapons um talk is still probably uh posturing uh because I mean, if you've got any residual sanity left, you would probably um, know that there's no coming back from that. You know, once you've dropped a nuclear bomb, whatever caliber, um, then there's going to be a retaliation, and 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 then that's the Pandora's box is open. Um, so I, I don't think um, that is likely to happen. Um, but then again, um, that's assuming that there is residual sanity. But you know, it mm. can't be. You can't be certain of that. So. Well, let's bring in Peter. Now, Peter, uh, I know, too, that you spent uh, some time in Ukraine. Yes, that's true. Privet, Evgeny. Dobry den. Privet. Yeah. Um, so, yep, to be sure, um, there's a, a lot of strangeness here. Um, again, I, I would ask Evgeny, um, how much are we hearing what we want to hear, which is that the Ukraine's winning, that, that the Russians mm. are protesting? Um, I read that 300 Russians protested, which is none. Um, so um, are, 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 we, are we looking at this through rose-colored glasses and that the fact that Russians are ready to mobilize and that this is a long, long siege here? Yeah. Well, uh, Ukraine is, uh, at the moment, uh, well, he's, it's got the strategic advantage, that's for sure, because, um, I mean, plain and simple, Russia's run out of, um, run out of men on the ground. Uh, that's, that's what's happened. Uh, and without mobilization, there's not much that um, he could do, uh, really, at this point. Uh, so this was the... He was... Um, presumably, he was against mobilization from the very beginning because he imagined that this war could be won uh, with contract uh, soldiers, uh, professional army, and uh, very quickly. But, of course... Uh, right. That was... Yeah, that was completely... Um, completely well, is, there, is there a chance, Yevgeny, that... that- yeah. Is there really any chance that mobilization will be a failure and that, in fact, Putin will be at risk from domestic unrest? Do you see that? Um, uh, I do, but not immediately. Not immediately. And again, it all depends. I mean, there's so many variables. I think a lot will depend on how successful it will go, how many people they actually manage to uh, round up, uh, what kind of people, um, and and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, if um, uh, if if it drags out, and if they then require more people, and they require an additional two hundred fifty thousand on top of that, and, and more, then there will certainly be um, unrest uh, in 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 big cities, uh, in, in Moscow and St. Petersburg, and so on.
Uh, where the, well, the protests have actually have been quite signi- more significant than what you're saying, not 300 people. It's, uh, it's 300 people in a lot of uh, places. Okay. Um, right. So, yeah, yeah. What, uh, can, you, can you enlighten us in terms of um, Putin's thinking? That's uh, what, what people want to know. What's driving Putin? I mean, could, could it be, someone suggests, does it stem from ultra-nationalists putting pressure on Putin to go harder on Ukraine? I mean, what's driving it? Oh, it's a, it's a huge question. Right. Uh, it, it's his own personal, uh, uh, his own personal ideas, um, uh, to be to be blunt, um, because um, very few people believe that he would start this war uh, at the very beginning, um, um, and now he convinced all those around him that um, you know it's it's um, it's a war that has to be won, and now that we've started it, we can't turn back. There's a you know. A defeat will be humiliation and failure, and so it's um, uh, it's it's um, it's just something that he started that he can't stop now. Um, so he has to yeah. he has to finish it, has to see it through to the end. You have to see it through to the end, whatever that might yeah, be. Whatever, Do- whatever, yeah, whatever that end might Good be. Good exactly. But wow. Yeah, but I so- think uh, I think I think this this end is 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 probably going to be. Um, well, the end of him and the regime, uh, I, I, you know, unless unless he is that insane and, and, and you know, wants to open up the Pandora's box, then that's, yeah. Dr. Pavlov Kyoto for that uh, very interesting stuff, Associate Professor of Russian uh, and History at Canterbury University. And uh, whatever the end means, Alice, speaking to your point there, um, while we really do not like to talk about it, I don't, don't even like thinking about it, that has to be raised, doesn't it? The, the, the spectre of a nuclear scenario. When all the countries of the world have weapons of mass destruction, the theory is that that saves us from this, but perhaps not. We just don't understand what's in Putin's mind. 18 past four, the panel, Peter Field and Ella Henry with me. Uh, By the way, loving some of your uh, responses regarding moving from uh, the big smoke as they say, to a small town. Uh, Ron says, so pleased that we moved from Wellington to Masterton. Wonderful lifestyle, great weather, fantastic gardening, and able to work remotely, so the career has continued. It's been my best decision ever. Uh, and uh, here's one. Um, after 25 years in L.A. and New York, I moved to uh, Pahiatua to care for my grandmother, who didn't have enough home care due to COVID. Uh, cold turkey, L.A. to Pahiatua. Uh, don't regret it. Uh, so more on that later in the show. But to this, frustration has grown as lawyers and family are being denied face-to-face prisoner visits. In fact, two-thirds of the country's prisoners are being denied face-to-face visits. And it has to be done when it's safe, said Minister Calvin Davis. Right now, there are significant staffing issues within corrections. Nonetheless, there is no time frame when face-to-face visits will resume. So what are the mental repercussions of having no face-to-face visit with Fano, your partner, your child? With us is lawyer Joe Wycliffe. Kia ora, Joe. Kia ora. You said that we can get overseas, but we can't easily get into a prison. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. It's, um, I don't want to say we can't get in at all and we can't mm. get into any prison because they're doing their best to facilitate urgent situations and where trials are coming up soon. But uh, on the whole, no, we can't get to see our clients the way we used to. 
So face-to-face visits have stopped for about a year for about 5,000 prisoners. And to my mind, a year sounds like a heck of a long time. What are you hearing from family members or those in, or, or those in prison? From those in prison, what I'm hearing is that they it's hard enough being locked up. As we all know, if you're locked up, it's because you committed a crime or because you're on remand, uh, uh, charged with a crime. Uh, that is the punishment itself. We shouldn't then punish further by not letting people see their whānau. They, some of them, the only thing they have left in the world is their whānau and they don't get to see them. So if you take the last thing they have that means something to them away from them, you can imagine how desperate they feel. Let's bring our panel. Uh, Ella, um, face-to-face visits um, f- without it you know, f- going on, no face-to-face for a year, it's quite something. Uh, and obviously to me, this is a human rights issue. I mean, even prisoners have rights under the human rights legislation that, that, that are enshrined and protected. You know, we as a nation are committed to a particular path of, of restoration. Um, and, and if we can't ensure that prisoners can be part of programs, can see their families, then that's got to impact negatively on their well-being and their mental well-being. We want them to be healthy when they come out of prison. We want them to be able to contribute. So I'm really deeply worried about this. This is a, as a, you know, I understand they need to be able to recruit staff, but it's a worry. Joe? Oh, totally agree. I mean, I could go on all day about the things that uh, happen to our clients in prison that are, are just horrific, and people would be shocked. Some people think, well, they're in prison, they deserve it. But no, as Alice said, they're inside, they still have their human rights. Uh, and, and one of them, especially from a, a Māori point of view, is the need to see your whānau, kanohi, kita kanohi, uh, to keep establishing those bonds of whanaungatanga, which must be done in person in order to, you know, feel the person's presence, feel their um, wairua, and be with them. So it's, it has that particular effect on Māori prisoners, and as we know, they make up the bulk of prisoners. Well, this seems to be becoming a bit of an issue here on the panel. Uh, I've just had a, a lawyer get in touch. If you like, I can tell you about my experiences of trying to get in. Uh, nothing so much as an effing phone call to a client in prison. Getting visits is very hard. The prisons are like the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, another one here, Ivon's here, <laughs> saying as it is, I volunteer with my dog visiting the mental health ward of prison. We have not been allowed in since August of 2021. Uh. I feel deeply for these men who have not had any enrichment or visits with family in over a year. Um, Peter Field, let's bring you in. Well, we certainly think, I guess, the greatest thing is to avoid recidivism, uh, right? Everyone seems to agree on that. And to rehabilitate means um, to to have something to share, to be with others and with family. Uh, The loneliness must be profound. Um, (laughs) It does remind one, though, to stay out of prison. This is another reason. Um, I'd love to ask Joe, though. Um, it seems like there's mixed messaging here. Is it COVID? Is it something else? Is it mm. lack of staff? Um, we get all three answers, and it seems like we really should have one answer. Okay. Before COVID, we, we did have some difficulties. It depended on the prison. Some are excellent. Some not so helpful. With COVID, I know that it brought some difficulties for a while, but it seems to me that that is now being used as an excuse uh, to limit the number of visits or limit visits at all. And just on the point of recidivism, that 
that does apply to those who are sentenced, but I'm also thinking about those on remand. They haven't, they're innocent until proven guilty. They don't need to be rehabilitated. You know, they need to actually <laughs> see their whānau while they're locked up. Yeah. Okay, so on that, and on Peter's point, I guess, I've just had a, um, a correspondence here as well. Corrections had 4,000 cases of COVID, four hospitalisations, no deaths. Some of my prisoners have several AVL visits a week. So that is to the Minister's point, Joe, that this has to be done when it is safe. And is that not fair enough? It is fair enough. I just think that it is safe now. I mean, I'm not the expert. I'm not the health yeah. expert. But I, I'm living in this community seeing who's getting COVID, who isn't, who's had it, who hasn't. We are now operating within the fact that COVID is around, and I would like to see that extend into the prisons. It seemed to me to be the last bastion for COVID, and I don't know why. Okay, so tell me, uh, Joe, I'm talking to uh, lawyer Joe Wycliffe about this issue that two-thirds of the country's prisoners are being denied face-to-face visits, uh, in some cases uh, around a year. How would this affect you in preparation for trial? Immensely. It's already difficult. We're trying to catch up on a backlog of trials. When we can't have easiest access to our clients, what it means is we can't get instructions signed, which are the key, a key thing. We can't show them some of the evidence because we can't send it through the mail. When someone is charged, particularly with a sensitive offence such as sexual offending, they don't want their documentation sent into the prison because you can imagine what happens if someone sees what they're in for. So to get it to them, we have to be sitting in front of them and sometimes just go through it page by page with them and then take it away with us. They don't want it. And we can't do that over the but, video but, link. But, but, but you do have this dedicated AVL. You, you have that dedicated and secure AVL link though, right? Yes, but we can't show them each page on the screen. Oh, right, yeah, of course. Camera. <clears throat> and I've got to say, it's limited, that AVL link. I, I think, did you just say that someone said they've had prisoners with several AVL meetings with Fano per week? Yes. I've had none, and I, none of my colleagues, I asked them about this because I heard about this. Um, we've had none. I don't know where they're getting those facilitated, but it isn't happening for us. Joe, kia ora. Um, uh, be interested to sort of follow up on this, but uh, for now, thank you very much. That's lawyer Joe Wycliffe there. Nonetheless, uh, Ella, uh, whatever way you see this, um, being uh, without that human contact with your family, with your child, with your partner, with uh, your extended family, just to visit, to say hi, to keep in touch, um, that that really cannot continue for longer than a year, can it really? I've got to say that the last couple of years has shown some real cracks in corrections on a number of different issues. And I wonder if perhaps it is time for some kind of deeper look at the systems and the structures that are making it so ineffective on a number of issues. Right, 27 past four, you're on the panel, RNZ National, and it's lovely to have you company this afternoon. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in to us. And to this uh, completely different topic, I was meaning to bring this up uh, a couple of days ago. We had a bit of correspondence on this, uh, and I just want to sort of feed it out to Peter and Ella to see what they think of this, but it caught my eye on social media and thought, I'll see if the panel can resolve this. A person posted, quote, just reading about gender-neutral terms other than partner, and a lot of people are excited by the suggestion of joy friend. Do you find partner... 
a bit joyless. Do you prefer boyfriend, girlfriend, lover, or significant other? Now, apparently, it's becoming more and more popular for people in relationships to refer to each other as my partner instead of calling each other boyfriend, um, girlfriend, wife, or husband, and that some people might feel that the terms wife or husband have some traditional implications or historical weight that doesn't reflect their relationship. And people text it in. Wallace and the panel. After two divorces, I'm coming up to two years in my relationship with the love of my life. I am finally used to calling him my boyfriend, as he calls me his girlfriend. We are in our mid-50s. The title girlfriend and boyfriend brings me back to the halcyon days of high school. We are young at heart, and we are (laughs) mad for each other. So, just a thought on this one, Ella. What's your thoughts on this? I must admit, I'm I'm a fan of the term partner because it encompasses so many types of relationships. Right. Um, I'd have to say, and I'd say this as a person who's single at the moment, that if I did start a new relationship at, you know, 68, I'd be loath to call that person my boyfriend or my girlfriend, (laughs) quite frankly. Um, here's another one here. Uh, this part, someone disagrees on that. Uh, this business of my partner is so confusing. Once a partner was someone you were in business with, now we have no idea what people mean when they use it. Uh, what do I do, Peter? Uh, my wife, Tabitha, I, I actually interchange it. Sometimes I say, this is my wonderful wife, Tab. Um, other times I actually go, this is my partner. It's quite strange. I don't know why I do that. What about you? Well, I just think whatever it is, don't I don't dare say what my wife calls me. Okay, <laughs> but um, um, joy friend is interesting, but I guess you have to have the equivalent have misery friend too. Then when yes. things are going badly, so joy yeah. doesn't quite work for me. Partner's interesting. When my wife and I moved here from the United States, we thought an awful lot of people were were homosexual. Um, at first, because partner has a different implication in the United States, but we got Does over it? that fairly quickly and realized that that wasn't it. If you remember Gilligan's Island, what did what did Thurston Howell call his wife? Lovey. That sounds like yeah, a good one. I used to love Gilligan's Island. <laughs> okay, good. Take me back, Peter Field. Gosh, where's that? Where's that show? Uh, yes, I'm not entirely convinced about Joy Friend. Uh, it sounds well. I, I don't know what it sounds like, but it doesn't sound like the right sort of thing you'd want to call someone. Um, your thoughts on that? Uh, is is partner the right? Does it strike the right tone? Uh, does wife or husband, is that is that outmoded? Does that have some traditional weight that should be dispensed with? Your thoughts, text me, 2101. You can email the panel at rnz.co.nz. Meanwhile, loving your responses about those who move from um, the big smoke, as they might say, to small town. Um, Wallace, I moved to Greymouth from Christchurch three years ago, and I love it here. Uh, I had a hotel back last century, but left and went to Christchurch, then lived in Malaysia for three years, then went back to Christchurch, then Rotorua. Couldn't hack that. Uh, in my opinion, didn't, uh, it wasn't for me. So back to Christchurch, then we came over here and just would never go back. The coast and the people are just so amazing.